Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. In previous episodes, we've watched the creation of the first human, a male. In this episode, we witness the cloning of the first creature into human 2.0, woman. Will woman use her gifts to bring the world closer to perfection or farther from it? Find out in this episode of Thread. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through Season 4 of the Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by MediaLightOnline.com. And in response to the COVID-19 lockdown, MediaLight is offering its most popular course for free. So use your time now to discover your mission in life and learn to use the power of social media to speak truth to your generation. All available now for free at MedialiteOnline.com. I can hardly express I got a woman Well, this is a really uh, special episode to me because I'm a husband to a treasure of a wife, a woman who has influenced hundreds of other people one-on-one in her lifetime, and she's made my world just so amazing. And I'm also a dad to four daughters, and I'm a grandfather for three, and on top of that, I'm a father in the land, and that means I have dozens of spiritual daughters and sons. And I've always marveled at the power of women. I, I listen to them sometimes wrestling with uh, insecurities and just other kind of normal things, and I, I always have the same thought. She has no idea what she is. She doesn't know what she is to others who stand outside of herself. I mean... A woman is just such a majestic thing. It starts with the form. So artistic and gracious. Um, And, you know, for the history of art, at least male artists have been doing female bodies. That's just, it captivates them. And I think that's why we have such a spiritual war on things related to body image. But the form of the female is just so graceful. And then there's the giftedness that is in women. Just amazing ability. Um, I learned years ago uh, when I lived in the Philippines, it was always my my first step. If I was starting any new endeavor, uh, I had to build the inner circle. And the first positions on the inner circle, I was always looking for a female. Uh, I knew that there's a kind of woman out there, and she's she thinks in terms of the whole group. She thinks uh, not just about herself, but about the, the circle that she's part of and how to move it all ahead, 
And that's the kind of leader we need today. And so I think, you know, it's an automatic that women have a natural giftedness that makes them excellent leaders, especially in the day that we're at right now, where where things are different in so many ways. Uh, women have power and influence, even without titles. And, and the experience, then the peak of this, the experience and influence that comes when a woman becomes a mother, because mother is an archetype. She's not just a mere human. Her voice will be in your mind forever if she's your mom. And this led uh, William Ross Wallace to write his poem in 1865. So think about how far back we were in terms of the recognized uh, status of women, but he entitled his famous poem, What Rules the World? And I want to read you two stanzas from it. It starts with, Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel. Oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assailed it. Rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh, keep that young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world, and it has always been so. So this is the episode about women and the creation of woman. The place of women in society is one of those circumstances that has certainly evolved greatly over the years and and most of all in the past 100 years. It wasn't that long ago and still is in some countries when where women could not vote, could not own land, in many Islamic societies, still women can't leave the house without a male chaperone, can't drive, aren't educated. But today, women have amazing opportunities for advancement in career and public service, and we are all grateful for it. With these changes come the modern reappraisal of ancient documents and their, their portrayal of women. And in Western society, the Bible often gets dinged for its domestic portrayal of women. And this is usually from people who don't much love the Bible anyway and don't read it very deeply because there are thoughts contained in the first five books of the Bible that will grow over time into the case for the liberation of women in society. This document is thousands. I mean, as I'm saying, these are the oldest human pieces of history. Moses, for example, allowed women to own land. And this was a revolutionary idea in the ancient world. It was thousands of years before the modern establishment of any such practice. But nowhere does the Bible shine so much favored light on women than in the story of the creation of woman. Because just as God had a dream for the earth and that the earth would be his garden dwelling place of abundance 
for humans and animals, so Yahweh also had a dream for woman. There is a tenderness toward women in the heart of the God of the Bible. Evidence, too, in the manner of Jesus, the way he treated women in his day. So, let's start with the question, what is woman, according to the book of Genesis? Well, the first thing we learn about woman is she is human. Humanity is one creation, and in Genesis 1.20, that is the way the creation of women is described, that God created Mankind in his image, male and female created he them. Uh, Humans are one whole species containing male and female. And this means that woman is also the image of God. That she is here to reflect the image of the creator God to the world around her. That people should see her. And think of him. It means also that she has a likeness to God. That she is made in his image and in his likeness. It means also that she is created with dominion. She is created as a co-equal partner sharing dominion over this created world. And humanity as one is given the keys to our planet, and is given dominion over all the land, over everything that lives here, over plants and animals and birds and creatures of the sea. She shares absolute dominion over this planet, and she is given, as a human, free will. We're going to talk about that again in a little bit. Woman has free will. Second thing we learned about woman is she is different from the other human who we call Adam. She is different from that human. And this is a really important point. Differentiation is crucial in the world of living beings. Stay tuned. It provides a necessary balancing that is needed in nature. We need there to be light, and we need there to be dark. We need taste to be sweet. We need a taste that is sour. We need hot, and we need cold. We need wet, and then we need dry. And we need male and then female. This contrast makes each of the elements meaningful and purposeful. And we need a distinct land, different from water, different from sky as a space. We need them to be different and distinct from each other, not the blurry mush that it was originally in the first line of the Bible. And in order to have differentiation, we need strong lines of division between things that are created. Throughout the Genesis 1 story, the creation of the world, the word divide is used over and over again. Lines of division. It's how God took the chaos of darkness and the chaos of tohu vabohu, and he rolled it backwards, and that 
uh, that new order only came about because of strong lines of division that keep each form of life in a separate domain. And in that domain, they thrive. But they aren't allowed to cross over into the uh, domains of others because that puts them at risk. For example, right now, all over the world, we're dealing with a deadly plague, which is just like MERS and SARS and now COVID-19. Three deadly plagues, they are directly caused by one form of life, Seemingly, it's bats in the case of MERS, uh, it's camels. One form of life crossing the species line and now uh, passing something on to another species outside of its circle. Uh, Still trying to track down where this last one came from, but it's got something to do with bats. And in a place where you would sell live bats, lemurs, and other wildlife in the very same market for, to eat them as a live chicken, and you stack the cages right on top of each other, and the offal from one is being eaten by the other, and then that meat is being eaten by humans, and bam, you've got a world-stopping disease. And it's all because of a lack of lines. We get rightly concerned today with genetically modified organisms. When humans want to get inside that genetic code that belongs to a species and they want to start making some changes in it. Another important concept in the creation story is the phrase, after its kind. It's, re- it's repeated over and over again. Things need lines. We need differentiation and we need dividing lines. And today there's this big push to blur lines to erase as many lines as possible, especially in the realm of sexuality. So instead of male and female, today's sexual activists want us to acknowledge the superiority of a hybrid androgynous whole human. So modern men are feminized and women are toughened. And, you know, the the whole goal is let's just be humans without... A distinct reference to sex. It's you know it's a, it's a gray sliding scale. Even some gay academics like Camille Paglia are writing that when society applauds the feminizing of men as a model, it is a sign of impending societal collapse throughout history. We need strong men and we need strong women. We like all creation need differentiation. It is a fundamental building block in creation. And all this says to me, the current debates about gender and 20 different genders, uh, is that we've lost our way as humans. The reference lights from our origin story are dim now in many cultures It tells me a second thing, though, and that is that the rebellion of the human creature against our Creator has continued to grow beyond all previous boundaries. Just as Christ prophesied, uh, John in Revelation tells us that after God sends His final ecological warning to the earth, His loudest wake-up call, all it will accomplish is to further inflame the human hatred for God. The text says, so they cursed the God of heaven. 
if you're looking for a gender-free Bible, you're going to be disappointed because the world of Genesis is, among other things, a world of gender. Nouns are gendered. The ground is feminine. Sin is masculine. Ships and other means of transportation are feminized. Same with cities. They are called her. And God created mankind in his image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and he blessed them. So today, in retelling the creation story as humans in chapter 2, God describes first the creation of the man, the man of dirt, the man of clay, the prototype for the human race. He is unnamed. Adam's not necessarily a name. It's what he is. But there's only one of him at that point. So he is unnamed. He is unmated. There's no one like him. And he is unable to reproduce. And then in our story today, God again creates a second human in a way that is just as unique as she is. So we've learned two things about woman. The third thing we learn about woman is, woman is, in Hebrew, woman is the azer. She is, later we'll see in scripture, she is lady wisdom. She is the final work of God's creation on earth. God has a big dream for her as the Azer. So let's look into that. Genesis 2, 19 through 20. And the Elohim Yahweh formed from the ground every beast of the field and every flying thing of the heavens. And he brought to the man each one to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called every nephesh, that was its name. But as for Adam, he did not find an ezer suited or corresponding to him. This is such an interesting uh, story to me because in chapter 1, God names everything. Well, in ancient cultures, whoever names it, they own it. It's theirs. So God names everything, and then he creates a man. And having created a man, now he starts sort of serving the leadership of this man because he, he empowers the man, he leads him to the garden, he enthrones him over creation, and now he begins to bring to him all the animals that he's created that he's left unnamed. And in this chapter... Man gets to name the animals. And whatever name he calls it, it sticks. Yahweh you know, vouches for whatever he does because he is the newly installed image of God on earth. And uh, it's just so interesting, too, though, that the way God is acting like impresario, showman. He's building the drama in Adam, he wants Adam to start feeling his need as he sees all the other animals in creation being made, male and female, male and female. And here he is, only one sex. He wants him to feel his lack. He wants him to feel his vulnerability in this battle of life. He wants Adam to long to be united to his human counterpart. Uh, Proverbs 31 describes the power of this counterpart. And if you've never read that passage, you really should. It's a 
You know, it's the ideal woman, all the power that's in this this woman in the life of the most important unit in human society, and that is the family. You know, the West is collapsing because it has devalued family, and it has promoted divorce and the shattering of family bonds. And I've been watching the last few years as Asians move into the West and build incredible lives of success, not because, as amazing as they are, because I've lived in Asia most of my life and I love Asian people, it's not necessarily because they're smarter or even harder working. It's because, I think, they have these time-honored family alliances that they live and die for. You know, the family is what you sacrifice for. It's something bigger than yourself. And it gives your life more meaning. And I'm, I'm saying this because of the demeaning attitude in many camps today toward women who devote their lives to building a powerful family as their primary objective. And so here, as, as Adam's counterpart is created, there's a word that is translated in English often, not, not always, but often it's translated helper. Uh, for Adam, there was no helper corresponding to him. And that word helper is demeaned as uh, the lead role for this second human. But what most people don't understand is the origin of the word. This is a word for a fellow warrior because life is a constant battle and men and women will need each other to face it successfully. Now, we tend to read our current reality back into history and here, again, it's problematic. So let's, let's all try to remember as we look at this passage, first of all, that for thousands of years, thousands of years, every family's greatest threat has been violence at the hands of beasts and other people, mainly men. Violence at the hands of beasts and men. And number two, starvation from a simple lack of available food. And every family has had to face this. I mean, existential threats to their own physical survival. And it was that kind of a world. Our world has been an extremely physical world until recently. And the increased strength of the male in the family was essential for the survival of this family for thousands of years. The fastest way into slavery or death was the death of the man of the house. If he went out, the whole family was plunged into poverty, which led to either slavery or early death. And that's why the Bible declares so many protections for widows and orphans. It's not just widows as older women. It's widows as any woman that's lost that strong man in her house because traditionally it it has taken his physical strength to, one, protect this family from threat, and two, do the backbreaking physical work that was needed to avoid the starvation of the family. And so a lot was resting on this man. But we see in our passage here, the man also needs protecting. He needs an azer. And I just want to talk about what the word itself 
means. Let's go back to it. Genesis 2.18. And Yahweh the Elohim said, it is not tov, remember that word for good? Uh, Positive, constructive, upbuilding. It is not tov for the man to be alone. I will make an azer. And then this next word, parallel, or you could translate it corresponding. It means that uh, the azer has to fit the man. I will make an azer corresponding to him. I will make an azer parallel to him. She is to be his azer. And while we usually translate it helper, it's not a domestic concept. It's terribly misleading to translate it that way. It's a military concept. It means the one who lets you fight facing forward because they are covering and fighting for you, uh, fighting with you, and they're doing it from your side and from the rear. Their pace and their strength must match yours. And the two of you in a battle, think about ancient world again. This is an old document. You've got your shield, you've got your spear or your sword. If Think about the chaos, the bloody, massive chaos of a battle. 360 degrees of threat. Your chance of survival skyrockets when you have an azer. And the azer gets on one side or the other of you. You about you need to be the same size. You need to be, you need there needs to be a uh, a correspondence between you because you hold your shield, the azer holds theirs. You must walk in lockstep. Like I take a step, you take a step. It doesn't work if you don't do this. And so uh, you know they are watching your side. They're watching your flank. They are fighting. They are a warrior with you. They are fighting on the side. They are protecting you from a totally unseen blow from behind. And because of the Azer, you can put your focus directly in front of you, and you can battle forward. And that gives you progress, and that brings you the victory. The Azer. Their strength and their pace must match yours. And if you get this, see, Adam needed this. To keep dominion over all the life forms on earth, Adam needed an azer. That word is translated sometimes savior. Uh, you know, someone who rescues you. And, factoid, uh, a man who is unmarried will, I believe if I got my stats right, a man, an unmarried man will die 10 years earlier than a married man. So, one more reason to get married and stay with it. Adam needed an azer to keep dominion, and he needed an azer who was equal to him, who was parallel to him. Well, who is this azer that God is going to make? Well, we find in verse 21 that she is what we could call Adam's clone. Uh, Verse 21, and Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh the Elohim, made a deep slumber to fall upon the man. Uh, I like this, first of all, because it's it's sort of like he's being put under anesthesia, but he's also being given a, a euphoric, actually the happiest moment of my life, is none of the things that you would think of would bring you joy. My happiest moment in my life was about, I don't know, 30 seconds before my knee surgery, and they were putting me out, and suddenly I was the happiest. I've never had feelings like this. And I looked up at the anesthesiologist, and I said, what? And, and she said, ah, you like that. I've given you a euphoric 
And I said, wow, this feels wonderful. She said, yep, I want your last thoughts to be very, very happy. And so out I went. And so did Adam. And the word is slumber. I like the translation because it, it, it's pleasant, you know. Slumber is not you passed out. It became unconscious. Slumber. It's happy. It's cozy. It's a good feeling. So Yahweh the Elohim made a deep slumber because something radically invasive is about to happen to him. And Yahweh took Selah is the word. And Selah is a word, it can be translated rib, and often it is. It can also be translated side or half. So you can read this story as Yahweh took a rib loose, or you can read this story, Yahweh split the man in half and removed from the unified creature the half of God's image that is feminine, uh, Yahweh the mother hen, uh, Yahweh El Shaddai. El Shaddai um, means the one with many breasts, uh, that there's milk for as many children as El Shaddai has because El Shaddai is the many-breasted one. So there are these feminine images of God, although they're few, and then we have all of the Yahweh as man of war kind of images. Uh, so either you can read this, a rib came out, or that God split Adam and he pulled from him all that was built in the image of God and uh, was feminine. And he crafted the perfect body to house the feminine image of God. It says he took Selah and Yahweh the Elohim built the Selah into Isha, woman, and he brought her to the man. We'll be right back. Woman's creation was unlike anything ever done before. You know, all species get created by God speaking. And when he spoke, both sexes were created. Even the man wasn't created like her. The man was made clay of the earth, formed by the hands of God, and then breathed into. So intimate, something no, no animal received. Uh, and that was a special birth, but this one is created in an entirely different way. She is taken from within the first man. She is made from Adam's, what could we say? Adam's DNA, 100%. No additions. It's not Adam plus some new thing the way we have to create. We have to have, you know, it's my DNA. Now I mix with Sherry's DNA and bam, out come children that have never existed before and they're unique in all these ways, and it's my family tree and hers, and it's all... That's not what happened with Eve. She was taken from the life within the existing first man. She's, she's Adam in one sense. She is human. She is 100% the DNA of Adam with no additions, but she's not Adam. She's female. She's radically different. 
in so many corresponding ways. His body fits into her body. Just the entire way they're built, they're built to click together. They're built for the relationship between two warriors, and one is the Azer. She is radically different. And at first glance of her, Adam is captivated. Unlike anything else in creation, she's come into existence by sharing the life of another nephesh. Same composition, but a totally different personality. And I don't know why God designed uh, Eve in this way, but something that strikes me is that this is the beginning of our understanding of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because we, you know, we battled to comprehend the God who made us, and we know that God is not a big man, that He is a complex entity, and He has three entirely distinct persons. Not a three-headed God, three entirely distinct persons different personalities, different thoughts, but absolutely unified, and all of them are Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that the story of Eve is the beginning of our understanding as humans of the nature of the relationship between, I'm going to stick with the Son and the Father, as they live in this perfect harmony Their relationship is the template for all of our covenant relationships. And it is especially the template for our relationship back toward Yahweh, the Elohim. This perfect harmony, clicking together, union as the deepest goal of our walk with each other and with God. And woman enters into this role of Azer. And she enters it with free will. And the question is, how will woman use her uniqueness as a fellow warrior with Adam? Will she walk in lockstep with him? Will they conquer life together, or will she run ahead of Adam and leave him unguarded? She's supposed to be Azer with him, walking step by step. Will she even walk in submission to Yahweh? Or will she be one who acts in rebellion to Yahweh because she has free will? Would she even act as one who is a temptress to pull Adam off of his path? See, the thing that most people don't see, and I hope if you don't get anything out of this talk, I hope you get this part. The thing most people don't see when they look at the Bible and they're trying to understand how God sees women is that according to the creation story of Genesis, women are created equal. There is no patriarchy at first. She is assumed to be as capable as the man and like the man. She has tremendous potential for tov and ra. She can do good, constructive, upbuilding, or she can do destructive, uh, dark tearing down. She has tremendous potential. And she does not, in the Bible, get a pass because she's female. She is accountable 
for her use of her equal power and her equal free will. You know, it always struck me as unfair that on Mother's Day in church when I was a pastor, I mean, we always honored the women the most that we could. Anything we could do for women on Mother's Day to make them feel special and uh, make them you know, feel applauded and that we see their hard work. But on Father's Day, I would have lots of women come to me and they would want me to sort of beat up their husbands when he came to church uh, for his once a year. Uh, you know, preach guilt on him for not doing his job. That's not the way the Bible is going to allow women to operate. They're not going to, uh, God is not going to judge men harshly and then judge women lightly and say, well, you know, she's a woman. He doesn't see that at all. He sees her. She is the end of his creative work. He sees the power in her. It's discreet but it is there, and he will hold her to the same line of accountability that he holds Adam to because she is equally capable, she is equally free, and she is equally morally responsible. She has power to do tov and to do ra. Now, in the Old Testament, you get a very full understanding of, of two women. There's two women in the Old Testament, basically, and they're always struggling against each other. Uh, Proverbs, actually, is a reflection, the whole book, is a reflection on Genesis 1 through 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3 and chapter 9, especially, there's an outline of the showdown between, it's like a, you know, a fight between these two women. There's lady wisdom on one side. And I'll read you uh, Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. See how powerful? This is a woman in the ancient world with enough money, enough resource to build herself a house. She has built her house. She has hewn out, she's carving out of stone, seven pillars for her house. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She's got staff. She calls from the tops of the high places of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she's talking to men. She says, come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. So God has on the one side this, his dream of a woman, which is this, and it's Proverbs 31, and it's, it's this whole image of lady wisdom. She understands God's wisdom, chokmah. She understands what to do and when to do it. She has the power to do it. She has her own wealth. She has her own competence. She is, she is equal to anything else that God has created on planet Earth. And there's another woman. She is called... Uh, the woman of folly, she is called the temptress, and that's also in Proverbs 9. I'm going to read 13 to 18. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits in the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city. Uh, those are uh, idol worship places. And she calls to those who pass by who are making their path straight. 
Like these are men who are trying to be straight men, good, strong. But she calls to them, whoever is naive, let him turn in here to him who lacks understanding. She says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So you've got this woman who is diabolically evil, and she knows how powerful women are, particularly over men. And you see it in in the story of Eve in the Bible, and you'll see it all the way through the Bible, and we see it in life. I mean, if if I was a spy master, I'd recruit a whole lot of women because just it's just amazing how weak men become around a woman who understands how to unlock that seductive power. And you hear of men just destroying their life. Um, a woman of folly. And so, in the Bible, we've got these two models of womanhood. You've got the one that God built and he dreams of, and then you've got this other one, though, that is from the dark side. And it is a woman using her free will to work against Yahweh's purposes for the earth. And and it shows us that she has a malignant power that can destroy the lives of other people, even people that are trying to be to be good and be straight. There is a deceptiveness and an ability to destroy. And these are the two women held out in front of all women as they are created and they enter their life in creation to do their part of owning this world and ruling this world and taking dominion. You have these two women, two models of womanhood, and God pointing you at the Lady Wisdom, saying, be her. Oh, don't be that other woman. Be this one. Because, fourth thing we learn about a woman, is that woman is the encore. I mean, it's like when you go to a concert and you know the last song, when the concert's over and you're still waiting for the, that song you came there to hear the best, the biggest, the greatest song the band has, and the, you know the band leaves the stage and everybody starts stomping their feet and pounding and shouting, and you've got to bring the band back out, and they've got to come out for the last song. And when they come, that's the encore. It's the song you came for. The explosions go off, the fireworks are fired, you know. That's what woman is. She is the encore of creation. She's not, you know, anything weak, anything second class. This is encore. When God brings woman out of his secret place and introduces her to Adam, she is his highest concept of a human. She is powerful, but she sees things differently. She judges with different thoughts. She has subtle powers of influence. And she can bear children. Life comes out of her. And and you see Adam, you know, when he sees her, if you could translate that, it'd be, wow. You know, he's just smitten by her. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And the next verse, 24, says, and that's why a man will leave his father and his mother. You know, the security of his family, he'll abandon it. And he will cling to his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked. 
the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And that's what God wants. God's dream for Adam and Eve is unity. He wants their hearts and their minds to be so united. It's his goal for them, two distinct persons, different in so many ways, and yet they share one life. See, Eve Eve doesn't doesn't start with a life. She shares a life that was given to her. This is one life. The two of them are now living it together in complete harmony. This union is so important that even later in the law of Moses, new couples are given an entire year off from the obligations of their citizenship so they can knit their souls tightly together for 12 months without any other burdens being placed upon them. Because, my friend, building and maintaining a unified marriage is the hardest thing you will ever do. And you will be resisted by all the powers of darkness and all the distractions of this world. But if you can accomplish it, it is the most rewarding thing that can ever happen to you. Your dominion will expand like Alexander the Great. You will have huge influence. If you can find your partner, and if the two of you find a shared life with unity between the two of you, you're you're like 10 people at that stage, and you're going to succeed in such a great way. Here is one last scripture. How blessed is the man from the Proverbs who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life. Wow. That's going to come up later. So, daughters of Eve, we honor you today and we call on you <laughs> to join us as men and control the fallen nature and rise to the place of honor and influence in the world that God has ordained for all of us as we live in unity together. Well, that's all for now. Don't forget about the new free online courses at medialightonline.com. So visit it today and share it with all your friends, okay? Expect God to use you today because you are the light of the world.